Michael's Trunks and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Cue Ball Carmichael. Welcome to another edition of Triple The video screen, as you see the host of the show, the one and only, the man that carries all the power, the man who runs the show, he's the head cheese, he is the man... He is Q-Ball Carmichael. Q, how are you, buddy? Thank you kindly for the wonderful introduction. Yes, I'm Q-Ball Carmichael. I'm the greatest wrestler you've never heard of. <laughs> Somebody, King Kong I think Bundy, you're great. King Kong Bundy told me once, I was the greatest undiscovered heel ever. He said, Vince missed the boat on you. You're the heel's heel. And that's when he made me his champion at DWF. So, yeah. I told you know, that story. Yeah, yeah, so it's a, it's a great story, and, you know, but we're going to get into wrestling feuds today, uh, some from back in the day, uh, most all of them, back when, when you looked at wrestling, you believed what was going on, the toothpaste was still in the tube, as Mike Maverick says, so this is going to be a great show, talking about a lot of legendary wrestlers, um, some were friends of mine, uh, and, you know, it's just going to be a great show. So why don't we get right to it after we talk a little bit about my product, which you can see on our page, which is called Brainstorm. It's actually a product that I created with Vox Nutrition. It has a proprietary blend. It helps with memory, focus, uh, lessens depression and anxiety. Uh, it's all natural, 100% natural. It's got key ingredients in it that make the brain neurons fire, which is choline, which is GABA, which the brain produces, makes it produce more dopamine, so you'll have more euphoric effects. And here's the thing. I designed this for wrestlers. I actually designed it for me. Because, you know, before I was taking this, I would struggle with my words. You remember. It was, I would like, be on the tip of my tongue, and I couldn't think of the person's name. And my recall wasn't what it was. So I started, I developed a supplement with Vox Nutrition. Um, and we put it together. And I wanted to sample it before I put it on the market. So I took it for a month or two. And I think about a month into the show, when you started, it was really working. And you had said to me, you were firing on all cylinders that night. But that's an everyday thing for me. And, you know, it's sold on Amazon. You can find it on Triple T Radio's website. It's on sale right now for $19.99 uh, with 25% off at checkout. So it's 15 bucks for a month's supply. What are you going to lose by giving it a try? I can tell you what you might gain, which is a uh, better recall. You can gain a little bit less depression. You can reduce your anxiety. Um, and you can really, really feel the effects of it. But what's interesting is, as you noticed, and as my family did, 
your people around you are going to notice the changes in you first because you happen to change every single day as you take this stuff. And about two to three weeks in, it really kicks in. And that's when everybody around you starts noticing, wow, what a difference in his attitude, how he recalls things, no depressive moods, um, just great things. So I suggest everybody give it a try. Again, it's all natural. If you're on a blood thinner regime, it's completely safe because there's no vitamin K because people on blood thinners can't have vitamin K. Well, there is 100% of your daily dose of vitamin C, B3, B5, B6, niacin, inositol, choline, GABA, Bacopa, everything you need to improve your memory naturally. There you go. Well, I mean, the thing is, Q, is it really is good stuff. Um, you know, and you make it so accessible for everyone. I mean, they can slide right on over to TripleTRadio.com. And, you know, we make it it's right there. And you guys can't miss it because it is, it's, it's the picture of the bottle. And, I mean, you know what you're looking for? Brainstorm. Right. right. And it can't get any easier than that, guys. So, I mean, and not only that, but, you know, we're happy to bring you this show, not just with that product, but, you know, he gives you guys a pillow. He, he not gives, not gives, gives bad word for it. But, you know, he might as well give it to you because for the price you're getting it and the sleep you're going to have, it's all worth it. It does the trick for everything. And I mean, these are just Q's way of saying thank you. And you know, giving you look, products like this. The great thing is, if you look at the Amazon reviews, you're always going to get negative people. I have one guy say he didn't notice any different with Brainstorm. And then I had like four people say it's an amazing product. I never want to run out of it. It's great. It changed a lot of my mental attitude and my, my acuity. So it's got great reviews, except for one person didn't notice anything. But you have to take it every day. If you skip two or three days in between, it's not going to work because it builds up in your system. And the same with the pillow. You know, the only negative review on the pillow is the lady said, it's well made, but it's too firm. Well, it's a firm pillow <laughs> to begin with, with two yeah. one-piece gel inserts inside of a cool gel inserts. The, the it's 40% aloe vera and bamboo and 60% microfiber. And here's the great thing. I've always had a problem with two things. A stiff neck in the morning because I broke C4 and always had a problem with my head sweating at night. You know, I'd be nice and toasty, but my head would sweat. Well, the fantastic, yeah, exactly. The fantastic thing about this pillow is because of the microfiber blend, it breathes. So as the pillow is, has such high breathability, your head doesn't sweat. Since I've had this pillow back in the end of September, not one night have I woke up with a sweaty head, and I always had that problem. And my wife used to say, I gotta wash your pillowcase two or three times a week. Now, it's like once a week when you do your laundry like it's supposed to be. It's amazing, really. So both of the products that I try to bring are health-related. Um, both of them are memory. It's a memory foam pillow, and it's a memory supplement. So. My line, Southern Simplicity, is trying to bring people wellness and health-related products, and we're very proud of it. But, you know, if you go to our landing page at Triple D Radio, we have an immense amount of fantastic sponsors on there. I mean, sure we have, do. You know, Hertz Rent-A-Car, you know, that's a great rental car company. I've used them for years when I traveled in wrestling. 
Um, we've got uh, TripAdvisor if you want to plan your trip out. I mean, we've got Norton antivirus. We've got um, Nord Intro Cave. Intro Cave. Uh, RedlineGoods.com. Nord the Blue Host. Blue Host. $3.95 a month to get a web page hosted with a free domain name for a year. How are you going to beat that, man? You can't. You're not. You're not it beating blows, it. blows GoDaddy out of the water. It really does. Yeah. And it's cheaper. So. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's what people want. They want cheaper, Q. And sure. the way to get it, guys, is we offer it to you guys. Go to TripleTRadio.com. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Q, let's get down to business. Um, let me set the stage. Let me set the stage on this one because uh, you and I had uh, had some guests on. We, we've done some profile shows. One of the things we had not done to date was a poll. Let's put a poll up. Let's just see if people are interested in anything we're doing. And the biggest thing back on our poll was greatest feuds now we gave other topics you know we talked about world champions we talked about attitude eras uh and all these things are great things but without a great feud there wouldn't be an attitude era and without the attitude era you know we can talk right now we could do a whole show on just the greatest feuds of the attitude era alone but who wants that well you know the great thing about that when we do eventually do it I was up there from 96 until uh, December 1999, from October 1996. I was a regular on the East Coast for the WWE. I, I was there the first night in Madison Square Garden when Stone Cold stunned Vince for the first time and the crowd went bananas. But everybody knows that. We want to bring in some classic stuff they can find on the WWE Network or they can find it on YouTube. Some really classic yeah. stuff. That shows how feuds were supposed to be created, more importantly, perpetuated to draw audiences and put people in the seats. So these feuds that we're going to talk about are classics. And they give you an idea when you watch them of how a feud should be these days. So what you can do is you can look at it and you can tell, you know, um, I was told yesterday by a really good friend of mine who's extremely smart that I was a positive person that can be cynical in a positive way and can be critical in a positive way. And I respect this person immensely. And they gave me that compliment. I'm a healthy cynic. I'm a healthy critic. But overall, I'm just a positive guy who's willing to learn. So, And this guy will eventually be on the show and talk about some amazing stuff on our other podcast, Truth Busters. So let's get on with the feuds, Nick. Why don't you go first? With your number one feud, let's start talking about that. Sure, let's talk about it. Some have called him the greatest baby in the history of professional wrestling in his prime, his rookie year. When this kid started getting some momentum, you know, it was only fitting that he would have to meet somebody whose fingers can cramp up like this at any moment. And I'm talking about what some arguably would call the greatest world champion in the history 
of professional wrestling. I'm talking about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair. You remember, I remember, there has been Clash of the Champions matches. There has been Starcade matches. There's been matches all over this world, over 400 matches of just those two alone. Let that sink in for a minute. There's only 365 days in a year, and the boys don't work every single day. And they've wrestled 400 times in their careers. Over that's, four. That's actually a career in itself. Yes, absolutely. Especially, especially for the weekend warriors out there. That's oh, yeah. a career in it. That's a weekend. That, that, that's a whole career. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a long career, you know, for a guy. A different era now that wrestles once or twice a weekend or three or four times a month. Figure out how long it's going to get him to have 400 matches, paid matches, and then imagine having a career where he had 400 matches against one guy. It's amazing, isn't it? Insane. Amazing. You know, I brag about wrestling Julio De Niro 75 times or, or King Kong Bundy 20 times, and then I look at this and I'm like, I should just shut my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is never going to happen, by the way. <laughs> no, no. And I would want it to at this point. But you guys got to think, though, man. I mean, I'm talking to Q about this. Okay. We're going back to the, well, goodness, I think it was right around 77. These guys are starting off in Jim Cornette's, or Jim Cornette. Sorry about that. Jim Crockett Promotions. And Crockett, yeah. They went to town. These guys went worldwide from Japan to the United States of America, literally all over the United States of America. And when you guys think about it, man, this this here is like where a lot of guys, if you go back and ask a lot of old timers, you know, what some of their favorite matches were, depending on their age. Sure. But sure. you'll often hear them referred to. Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. I'll tell you the most. Well, if we can get into it, I'll tell you the one that grabbed my attention the most. You ready? Yeah. Ready? Rick. I'm Rick, always ready. Rick, Ric Flair was heavyweight champion in WCW. Okay, or NWA. Um, Ricky Steamboat had just left the WWE the first time. He shows up in WCW, and Goes in the ring, Ric Flair's in one of his $500 suits and commences to ripping his shirt off and his suit off. And they end up having a, a match right there. And it's a non-title match. And Steamboat pins him in the middle. And oh my God, man. You just pinned a guy who's been heavyweight champion for three years. You just pinned him clean in the middle. And yeah, you jumped him and he was in a suit and shoes. But you beat him. So what is that set up immediately? Nobody knew Steamboat was coming back. It was a surprise. He was at the interview with Gordon Soley, I think it was, and Flair's running his mouth in his suit saying, come on, and Steamboat went in, and they had a match, and Steamboat pinned him clean. And everybody's like, oh, my God, the heavyweight champion just got beat. And so that created a feud that every time they went to the Omni in Atlanta, 
you know, the big center, the Omni Center used to be. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. They would sell yep. that out. They would go to Dorton Arena in Durham, North Carolina, and it would be sold out with a line of people outside, a thousand long, trying to beg for tickets. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, why don't you tell me your favorite memories of that feud and why you think that was such a great one? Why do I think it was such a great one? Well, let me put it to you like this. Well, well, well let me ask you this. First, what hooked you on that feud? What do you remember what got you into watching that particular thing going, oh damn? Sure I do. Uh so here's how it was for me. When I was getting into the wrestling business, it wouldn't be until years later. You gotta think when he came into the WWE F then was yeah. in eighty five. I'm one. I am one years old. When he don't left in 88, yeah, I'm not aging you, I hope. Don't not make, trying. Don't make, wait, don't make excuses why you didn't watch the first match. You were a year old. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> when I went back and I looked at that, one of the things was as the 90s rolled around and we started getting WCW Nitro. And I, at this point now, please, I, I am well aware to who you know, Rick, Ricky Steamboat is. Mm-hmm. But there's still, there, there's no internet yet. You know, and WCW was not a product that we got here, nor did we even get v- VCR tapes of. I'm watching WWFE, and that's it. So, when you think about that, Am I, okay, you think about that, okay? And then you go, I'm going to go sit down, if you don't mind. No, would that be okay? That would be utterly oh. fantastic. And it's nice to put a picture of me uh, with Steamboat in the corner. And I can tell you, him and I stood behind the curtain and watched the main event that night, which was the Hardy Boys against the uh, the brothers, the Hillbilly brothers from Delaware. You, know, you tell me. You guys, they said they were too ugly to get into uh, WWE. Uh, it'll, it'll, oh, oh no, it's, it's, it's easy. Um, Godwin's. No, no, I'll come up with it in a second. It was, it was only about four or five years ago. Uh, Frisco Brothers. The Brit, see, brainstorm oh. work. The Frisco brothers. The Brisco <laughs> Not the good ones. No, the the the, no. the hillbilly Frisco brothers. Okay, um, they they the new ones, the ones that you know went to TNA or wherever with the Brisco, the Brisco brothers. Anyway, they were in a ring of honor for a long time. So this is about five years ago. Yeah, and they were they were getting a lot of work all over because they were fantastic in the ring. So Matt and Jeff wrestled them on an Omega show, and I'm standing there with Ricky Steamboat, and we're watching them through the curtain, and, and, and Jeff got injured, and his leg was hurt, and they brought him back, and that was his original persona, okay? 
Jeff Hardy, when he started his wrestling career, was Will of the Wisp. Wore a mask, uniform, kind of creepy thing. So Jeff gets hurt, they take him out. He changes into the Will of the Wisp outfit and comes back out to tag with Matt to beat the Briscoe brothers. And there was 2,200 people in a building made for 17. And they were all followers of Hardy. And Ricky Steamboat stood there with me. He goes, let's watch this match together and talk. I'm like, okay. So we're watching the match before it, which you got yeah. Shane Helms in it. And he's dissecting it. And he's dissecting it. Like a professor of science would dissect a perfect from and sheer brilliance. Seriously, that's the point I was at. I was willing to drop a couple grand to spend a week with him just to learn. And he says, "Brother, I'll give it to you for free. Just go to the events I'm booked on. We'll we'll stand behind the curtain and watch the matches together." I'm that's the kind of guy he is. But back to the feud. Back to the okay, so sleep. you brought up about our inaugural YouTube show, and you're falling asleep. Who? Just you. Oh, listen. <laughs> so you I'm were kidding. saying about the one match. So, uh, of course, I'm not getting WCW, so I'm not seeing anything that people are talking about. Um, along came the internet, along came YouTube and people that were posting a lot of torrents about different things. The first match I remember seeing was the two out of three from Clash of the Champions four, six. That's the first one I remember seeing. Where you at, Q? Q. I'm talking about sleeping. Oh. Now you look like you're sleeping. That one, what? You guys, I'm right here. You can't see me? I'm right here. What are you talking about? No, I'm trying to get... Are you good now? Can you hear me? I can yes. hear you. Okay. Listen, it's our inaugural show. There's going to be some technical difficulty, but in the end, it's going to be awesome. So go ahead, tell us about the first time you saw him, what got you hooked like a fish. Two out of three falls. NWA uh, Heavyweight Championship match from Clash of the Champions 6. That's the first time I saw... Sorry, I'm sorry, I moved my hands. That's the first time I saw that match where I was like, this is unreal. The famous um, Blind Body Slam... Yeah, who won the first fall in that match? Just real quick. That was Flair. And then Steamboat won the second. Yeah. Yeah. And then Steamboat won the third. On that third fall when he won. The fans popping. Popping? They went ballistic. Like, 
That's what I mean today is guys are trying so hard to get that crowd to react. And they're not, you know, sometimes, you know, wrestlers, the old saying, keep it simple. Boys today don't realize how serious that term really is in this business. Keep it simple. You don't got to go flipping and flopping and jumping and hitting and, and diving Keep it simple. The crowd will come. And, you know, you you just made a magnificent point. And less is more. And every professional will tell you that. And these guys, these guys didn't jump off the top of the rope through a table. They wrestled to get the crowd behind them. And here's the unique thing is you don't see any huge, fantastic moves. You see one of them go up to the top rope, it's like, whoa, because it's only done once in a match, and it's done at the right time, perfect time, right place. It's yeah. really watching two guys together is watching the ultimate two of this era go at it, who know each other so well, and eventually, after their careers, Rick, Rick Steamboat's career was over, they became best friends. As Absolutely. We know, they as we know from the induction of the Hall of Fame. So one of the most it's amazing. Beautiful. Oh, it was the it was the best one ever in my opinion. But did I lose you at Triple T Radio? I have no neck. <laughs> you still there? So so two out of three falls. Clash of the Champions six or five? What that one was six. Yeah. Was six. Okay. Yeah. That was I I remember watching that and I was sure. I was absolutely convinced that Flair was gonna win the third fall. Well, I so, think because then Flair always pulled it out. Always. Somehow, some way. He pulled it out. And I think that was probably, and this is what I always say, when wrestling becomes predictable, it becomes boring, and you lose interest, and you lose your fan base. So it, I think people were thinking the same way I was when I watched it, that, oh, Flair's going to pull out this third fall somehow, some way. JJ's going to come out, give him a gimmick. One of the horsemen are going to run in. Something's going to happen where he's yeah. going to win third fall. And I think that was the mentality of the all the people watching. So when Steamboat won that third fall, the place went ballistic. And I remember watching it going, I can't believe that just happened. It was so unexpected and not something that happened every day back then. Did you pull that you up? Know? What's that? Are we able to watch a video at all or just pictures? Well, I wanted to watch. As you guys see the picture that I just put up right there. That is genuine. You ain't kidding. No, you're not kidding. Respect, friendship, brotherhood, career, love. You're always going to be a part of me in this world and beyond, and Flair's face 
is a, a phase of disrespect. <laughs> and Steamboat is a face of, right now, I couldn't be a happier man than I am in this moment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one of my favorite pictures, actually. I, I grabbed it for you. I can't watch it without crying, man. Seriously. Seriously. I knew that you would really like it a lot. I'm going to show you. Uh, you just said about the videos, and uh, I don't know why, but they're not working. And uh, here, I'll help you out. I'm going to really help you out now. How's that? Oh, yeah. The apprehensive... I stare apprehensive physical movement, but with the laser vision on each other, getting ready to lock up. When you see this, you know that greatness is about to happen. They didn't have to do anything there. They had the crowd, hook, line, and sinker, and he still didn't even have the other hand connected yet, and the crowd was going crazy. And that's the way... You know, I was, you know, I was blessed in the 90s. I worked a lot of big-name guys from that era. And I was blessed to be in a locker room with a lot more of them. And, you know, Bill Eady, who I wrestled probably a dozen times, as always as Demolition Acts, um, he told me, we did one match, and he goes, we could do that match six nights a week on the road back in the day. He told me that what you have to do is you have to have somebody that is going to be your nemesis. And in that match with that nemesis, the buildup and the transitions, the movement between moves, this is the transition. And this is what I teach when, when I do my camps, is transitions in psychology. This is a perfect demonstration of a transition to a lockup. The psychology is perfect. The crowd is in their pocket. They're totally controlling them on a roller coaster. That is art. You know, I've often said people go to a museum to see Salvador Dali, Renoir, um, all these great artists who put something on canvas. Well, wrestlers also paint on a canvas. And it's Absolutely. Captured, captured in eternity. And this picture right here is captured in eternity on canvas. That's our art form. That's what we would go to a museum to see. It was simply, it was simply, you know, it, depending on who you ask, it was maybe one of the greatest matches in the history of the business. And when you think of Ric Flair, I always say there's three names you think of when you think of Ric Flair. You think of Sting, you think of Rick, Ricky Steamboat, and for me... I think of uh, Barry Windham a lot. I don't know why, but Barry Windham for me. But when that's the three names, Sting and Rick, Ricky uh, Steamboat for sure are the are two names that when I say Rick, oh Dusty Rhodes, those are my three, hundred percent hands down. So that's what I think of when I well, think I of think Rick. That's here's one of the here's one of the here's one. I think when I get reflect, and I actually think because, and I tell you why I say this, Harley Race was known as an enforcer. He was a tough guy. He got in a bar fight one time and beat up ten. You know, Harley was one of those guys that can hurt you real bad real quick. And Harley passed the torch to Ric Flair. 
and they had a short feud together. But if you look at what Harley Race and Rick Flair did in a match, it's the class of this is the match that we can do because they were on the road five and six nights a week back then. This is a match we can get to five or six nights a week. Nobody get hurt. The crowd was into it, and we'd be done. And the reason I think Harley Race is because Harley to Hogan, and not not in a title in that situation, but passed the torch to Hogan. I think Harley passed the torch to Rick. Yeah, absolutely. See that those are synonymous. But Sting is, you know, if, you, if I go to my fourth, it would be Sting. So yeah, great choice. Great man, you want to go next? What do you got? I would love to go next. I'm going back to the early '80s Georgia Championship Wrestling. I remember all of a sudden we had WTBS and we had Georgia Championship Wrestling on Saturday nights. The Power Hour was from six to seven. I'm talking '81, '82, '83, um, just as I was getting in the business. And I remember something that caught my eye. And it was a crazy guy by the name of Buzz Sawyer. I mean, he played crazy. I, I think he was. He ended up passing away, unfortunately, due to his demons. But he had a feud with a young man who had been the world's heavyweight champion for, I think, 17 days uh, when he beat Ric Flair. And it's Tommy Wildfire Rich. And in the early 80s, there was no wrestler hotter than Tommy Wildfire Rich. You know, his promos were great. Him and Buzz Sawyer had a feud. And you can go on YouTube and you can see the locker room brawls that they had. And you can see the brawls they had at a match in Chattanooga that they weren't even booked on. They just both happened to show up, coincidentally. And you can watch this feud. Now, it came in hot out of nowhere. It lasted a little over a year. It wasn't one that you're going to get because... Tommy had the National Heavyweight Championship at that time, NWA National Heavyweight Championship at that time. But Buzz Sawyer and him had this chemistry of violence together. It wasn't even wrestling. It was very little wrestling. It was just violent. And it was like they both wanted, when I saw that, I said, these guys both really want to kill each other. And that was, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't started training yet. So when I watched it as a typical fan, I was like, whoa, this has got my attention because these guys really look in their eyes and in their actions like they want to kill each other. So it got my attention. It was It's not my number one, but it's one of my ones. I want to build up to my number you one. Are. So that was a great basis. If you can go on, there's lots of video. Tom Fire Rich and Buzz was a high school and collegiate wrestling champion. He uh, he could he could wrestle. Luthez, uh, when I was training Luthez, Luthez, Luthez said great things about his skill and ability. As, as a person, not so much because if you if you smoke one joint of marijuana and Luthez knew about it, you were a hoodlum. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah, he was, old school, old, old school. school, old school. I mean, that's the way old it was. That's old go, school. Go to the show dressed in a nice suit and tie or a polo shirt slacks and a, and a sport coat let me tell you something lou never ever showed up anywhere dressed as anything but somebody running for political office and he yeah. said that's how professional athletes carry themselves and there was a very long period of time and damien wayne will tell you 
I require wrestlers to dress the part. If you came into the locker room, I was running for NWA Worldwide Wrestling for a couple of years here. If you didn't come in in at least a sport coat, slacks, and a jacket, I sent you home. Absolutely. I, I made everybody dress like a professional. I was like, guys were like, well, it doesn't really show how big I am or anything. I said, they're going to see that when you go to the ring. What you're creating is mystique. Pro wrestling was built on mystique. It had a certain... I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's not real. It looks real. These guys really got to get hurt. I mean, and when you expect somebody making hundreds of thousands of dollars to show up to an event, you expect them to dress appropriately. So I told people, I said, if you want to be in the WWE or WCW, best way to do it is start acting like you're already there. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah, that means you dress the part. You show up. You look good. You go in the ring. And I took a Bill Watts thing and I said, and damn it, if you ever get in a fight, and you know, I ran for five years in seven states. If you ever get in a fight and you lose, you're fired. So if you go out drinking somewhere and I read about you in a paper and you got beat up by two guys, you're, never, you're not coming back, you're fired. Well, I mean, you can't be a world champion. You can't. You can't. It can't be world champion and dress like a bum. No, I, I, no, no. Well, did Ric Flair dress? Best dressed man in the business, hands ever, down. Ever, ever. And you can ask any of his peers, and they'll tell you the same thing. He was the best dressed, best prepared professional I ever saw. And you know, you saw him when he got into business with the dark hair and being chunky, right? Originally, yeah, I did. Yeah. And he changed his physique, and he dyed his hair. And he, you know, who you know, who he modeled his part off of. You know, I he probably do, but gorgeous George, but straight, flamboyant, outgoing. Gorgeous George gave you the thought that maybe he went both ways, if you know what I'm saying. Or, yeah, maybe, yes, I do. But Ric Flair modeled it after that, but instead of dressing that way, he decided to wear high dollar suits. Be charismatic, be loud, talk about the jets, talk about the limousines, talk about the houses. You know, there was nobody, I'm telling you, in 1985, there was nobody that dressed in any sport better than Ric Flair. And I can also tell you, in 19, I got to get this right, 1981 or 1982, he was the highest paid professional athlete in the U.S. of A. He made more money than any basketball player, baseball player, or football player that year. I'll tell 80, you. 82 or 83. That's how much money he Hey, made. there's a reason. Oh, yeah. There's a reason exactly. It's like there's a, there. Nick Bockwinkle, <laughs> champion, dressed the same way. I met Nick Bockwinkle's mother and father-in-law, his wife, mom. They live in Hawaii. And I happenstancely met them. And they told me that some nights Nick would get a check for over seventeen dollars or $18,000 from one night. And you think back then, they were wrestling five and six nights a week. So how much money did he make? I mean, you're talking about making a million bucks a year wrestling. A million yeah. dollars a year. Yeah. Now, 
back in 81 or 82, there weren't a lot of football players or baseball players even close to that. You know, the first million, look up the first million dollar NFL contract. It came after that. The first multi-million dollar baseball contract came after that because there wasn't free agency yet. So they all played for the same team or they went home. And that's why he was the highest paid professional athlete in the country that year. I'll have to look it up to be exact. 82, 83. So looked apart. And, you know, he really made Dusty Rhodes' career. He really did. To me, he made Dusty's career go from here, which was great, all the way up to here. And he liked Dusty. And Dusty wasn't really a wrestler, bless his heart. Wrestler, I mean, shooter. He was a great pro wrestler. But Flair sold so well for Dusty that Dusty got over even more than he ever had before. I mean, he was going to get over anyway because of his persona, character, and charisma. But Flair elevated him. You but know, remember, the hard times promo that people still talk about to this day would not be, he wouldn't have said that had that story that they were telling in that canvas that we were just talking about, we're painting pictures here, we're making money. Yeah. We would not have been talking about that today and how great he was if it wasn't for what Ric Flair did for him on that night. I'm not saying he made him because he didn't. Everyone has a part he in making someone. Elevated, he, elevated. he elevated him to a does. whole new level. And what was Dusty's persona? Son of a plumber, a working man. So you got Flair, the total opposite. Dusty, the total opposite. Who are the people going to get behind? Because they go to work every day. They have a nine to five, just like Dusty came from and did. And you got Flair, who was born with a silver spoon because his dad was a physician. So you've got that. And then you've got the working class dog. It was the perfect storm. Yes, it was. You know that. It, it Johnny Paycheck did a song, Take This Job and Shove It. I don't know if you remember. Yes, I remember. But I used to think of Dusty Rhodes every time I heard that song. Because he said, told my boss to take this job and shove it. And then he went to pro wrestling. So it was, you know, that was a working man's theme back then. Take this job and shove it. Because everybody in America wanted to do it. You know, it, it led into the it led into the whole Stone Cold Vince thing. You know, all that was was sort of a replay. You know, there's nothing new. Yeah. There's yeah. only things replayed. So, but that was that was a great, great, great feud by Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer. So let's go to your second one. In no particular order. My second Yeah. Well, okay, we can do that. Uh, I'm going to save mine, my favorite one, for the last. So, yeah, me too. I'm going with... Brad Hart and Shawn Michaels. Here's why. Okay. I, I was going to say the other one, but I'm like, you know, the other one was kind of like what made me fall in love with the business. At this point, I'm already in love with the business. And I already know what I think. And, and you know, I already know my favorites at this point. I kind of know it's a work, but I don't. But I don't. But I kind of know uh, this, this whole thing to me 
dating back to the Rockers, to the heel heartbreak kid, to I'm Bret Hart, and the only reason I'm getting over is because Hulk Hogan and the steroid trial, to finally Vince putting a rocket ship and saying, yes, we're going with Bret after WrestleMania 10, uh, to WrestleMania 12 when he had that match with Sean, and then everything blew up. And I think that's a pretty fair statement. It could be much worse. Uh, what do you think of that pick? I love it. I love it for two reasons. Number one, it was epic because it was commonly known that Brett and Sean did not like each other at all. No, fact, look, I was up there in 96, 7, and 8, and I can tell you that they would walk by each other in the hall and never speak. Man, it was yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you were there at the right time. Yeah, Owen and Neidhart and Rick Rude didn't speak to him. They would pass each other to get food. They wouldn't even look and acknowledge each other. Really? And here's the thing. That, when I was up there and this was going on, WCW was kicking her ass still. You could cut the tension in that locker room or any of those locker rooms with a knife. It was, it was, if you had anxiety, you would have had to leave. It was so thick in the air that you almost didn't dare talk to somebody. You know, you just didn't dare. It was so bad. And, you know, here's the story is the Nightheart had worked for me before I got up there at my promotion. So when I got up there, I walked in the long, long, wrong locker room. And Nightheart sees me, gives me a hug, says, come on over, introduces me to everybody, and says, dress with us. So I was in there, and it was bad. I came in one yeah, night. You told me this. I came in one night, and I tripped over Brian Pillman, passed out on the floor. Jeez. It was bad. Bad, bad. I was, tell you, though? I was miserable. And I took maybe, there was six months um, that they weren't giving us any work, five months. And that was the transition to Brett leaving and everything changing. And then you went up there and Matt and Jeff already were up there. Dudley boys were up there. All the bunch of guys that I knew. So all of a sudden it was fun and games because they were starting to kick WCW's ass. And then it was good. But before that, let me tell you something about Vince. Vince is a complete winner. What I mean by that, when WCW was kicking their ass, Vince, you didn't want to say nothing to him. Nothing. I would pass him in the hallway, not to him, sir. That's it. He was walking fast, head up, shoulders back, and pissed off. And oh, it was out. Look, I was up there. Stevie Richards was up there. Stevie Richards got thrown out of the ring by Jericho. He ends up going to the emergency room, and he's got a fracture above his ankle and his like shin bone. He comes in in a cast. True story. I'm standing in there with him, talking to him. Vince comes up. He goes, "What the hell happened to you?" 
And he told him what happened. He goes, I put all this money into you to get you in this spot and you get hurt. And he shook his head and he walked off. And I said, oh, my God. Dude, my butt was puckered. I was like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether yeah. to shit. I didn't know whether to shit or wind my watch. It was that bad. When he ripped into Stevie, I was like, should have cut the cast off, man. And take <laughs> Yeah, you should have. Yeah, he, he it was it was it, Vince was pissed anyway. But when somebody gave him a reason to be pissed off, you do not want to be working up there when Vince is pissed. No. It's terrible. That's one of the reasons Tom Brandy left. He didn't want to deal with it. You know, he's for that money in Salvatore Sincere, and he asked, six months later, he asked for a release of his contract. Jeez. And he was doing 20, 25 house shows a month. And you know how much money a house show pays. Yeah. Put it this, put it this way. After six months, he left, bought a tanning salon, in a gym. There you go. The rest was history, as they say. But but you know that was the era where everything everything was pissed off. I was up there when the what year did the screw job happen? Ninety seven. I was up there. I wasn't at that event. That was WrestleMania, right? So I wasn't. No, that was, oh no, it wasn't. It was Survivor Series. That's it, Survivor Series, when they screwed Brett. I was up there. That happened on a Sunday. I was booked that Monday and Tuesday, and the following Monday and Tuesday. And McMahon had still had a black eye. Ugh. I did, I looked at him, and I can't help but look at the black eye, and I'm like, did he know I looked at his black eye? I hope not. I hope I just went, sir. It was bad. Uh, it was bad. It uh, was bad. So, so for those guys to survive and and have some of the greatest matches that I've ever seen. You remember the 60-minute match? One of my favorite matches of all time. Does anybody in this world understand how hard it is to go 60 minutes wrestling, not die of a heart attack, not blow up, and be able to keep the crowd into the entire match for 60 minutes, there's about a handful of people in the world that could have ever done that. And do it, and the only thing they're doing is trying to outperform each other. That's not it. as friends. They're just trying to be better than the other. As, as so. really... As really enemies, one is not going to let the other one one-up them. It's not going to happen. No. So, no way. One of the greatest matches, in my opinion, pure wrestling matches with a being able to, it was a tit-for-tat match, back and forth, to be able to keep that going for 60 minutes. I mean, seriously, you haven't been in the wrestling business for... 37 years, March 5th will be 37 years, having been a wrestler who's had over 2,000 matches, 
I can look at that and say, there's no way in history, even at my best, I could have pulled off half or a quarter of that match. Oh, it was remarkable. It really was. It, it really, if there's any doubt of either one of those guys' ability, watch that match. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite matches with Sean, too, is when he wrestled The Undertaker. At, I don't know, 25? Yeah, when he wrestled The Undertaker and the shit they did together. Is that the one that we're, is that, is that the one where, that we refer to as if there was ever a perfect match? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. 25. 25. Yeah. Yeah. And and you talk about a perfect psychological story of how a small man can wrestle a big man. That is it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. One of my favorite matches of all time. It's funny. A lot of my favorite matches, really, I can't help it, but they, they include Shawn Michaels. But that's just, he was that good. Yeah, he was he was an incredible athlete. You know when I first saw him? 19, I can tell you exactly, 1982, Southwest Wrestling out of Texas, and he was a job guy. Jeez. Job guy for, like, Black Bar, guys like that that were down there. I mean, he was, this is Shawn Michaels, and he would go in and get the living shit stomped out of him. Oh, so really? If, so if people don't think he paid his dues, Go find some old Southwest Championship wrestling. He did. He did. Yes, he did. Yeah, and no, our, I agree. Our good friend and future guest on the show, Rudy Boy Gonzalez, is the guy that Sean personally, their friends, Sean personally handed his Texas Wrestling Academy and made Rudy the head trainer and then gave him the academy. And he's going to be on the show, and he's got some – some really fantastic Shawn Michaels stories. So I'm excited to have him on the show soon. Absolutely. All right. What is your your number two? My number two, Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull, and Wahoo McDaniel. Especially watch the old AWA matches, Indian Strap match. These guys, you know, I'm really good friends with Manny. It's no secret. We talk, we've been close for 25 years. You okay there? You okay? Hey, you okay there, buddy? I'm okay. I thought I was dying, though. So Manny told me a story that in their feud in the AWA, there was this guy that was a complete a-hole of a mark. They just kept running his mouth, running his mouth. And he comes to every event, and he's in the front row. So they get to a point where it's bothering Wahoo more than it's bothering Manny, which is saying something. Because Wahoo was a gentle gentle giant. So Wahoo tells Manny, Manny's right in front of the guy. Wahoo leans down and goes, duck the punch. And Wahoo hit that fan in the top of his head right here so hard, he went to the floor like a sack of potatoes. It's the most... Oh, my God, man. And Manny tells that story, and there's an AWA clip. There used to be. I don't think he took it down, where the guy gets punched by Wahoo. And I wrestled Wahoo once, and I said, Chief, why don't we do this? 
you know, I'll start, I'll get over on you a little bit. And then you chop me, I'll bump, chop me, I'll bump, chop me, I'll bump. He goes, are you sure you want three of these? I said, oh, yeah, sure. He hit me so hard that on the way down, I saw my toes over my head. I believe that. I'm like, his hands were gigantic. And I said, I should have said one. And came back up, turned around, fed, chop, bump. By that time, my chest is already bleeding. It's bleeding. Right around the hand prints, it's bleeding. And I got a big ass chest. So I come back up and he hits me that third time and I bump and go to the outside. One of the fans goes, oh my God, you're bleeding. I'm like, wow. Why did I ever say I'd take three of those? And when he asked, are you sure you want three? Unbelievable chopper. Now, he doesn't get credit for it. Flair does. But Wahoo had the single hardest chop I've ever felt. Now, Tom Tom Brandy is six foot three, two hundred and sixty pounds, and you know how great shape he was in himself. Excel sincere. I wrestled. Yeah. Him, I probably wrestled him honestly forty times, and we were all over the East Coast. And he chopped me in the corner like three times once, and I'm like, they hurt. And I had handprints with the blood coming out, but it was nothing like Wahoo's chop. Wahoo's chop came from left field and took you completely off your feet. You didn't need to bump. You were going down. I took three of I'm the stupidest man. I can can tell you this. Uh, I've heard a lot of Flair interviews, and Flair definitely gives him his just due. So, you know, if it makes you feel any better, Flair gives him his due on being the man with the chops. Unbelievable. and it wasn't even like he like threw it like lightning. He just he was so strong. Wahoo's one of those guys that was deceivingly strong. I mean, at one point he benched five hundred pounds. He was just one of those guys born. God's gift to him was natural strength. He was unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. And Manny ain't no joke too. You know, I've been friends with Manny for a long time, and Manny'll knock the tar out of you too. You know, I mean Manny. Included me uh, on three-day camps at uh, Tri-State Wrestling down in, down in South Carolina. And I can tell you that in the camps, Manny teaches guys how to wrestle 10 minutes in the middle. No corners, no ropes. 10 to 12 in the middle of the ring. Because that's what, at the time, William Regal wanted to see. And we took guys who had 10 and 15 years out there that had been great independent wrestlers that had done WWE shots here and there. And we took those guys in there and for him to teach that and then let me help him teach it. And my last camp, he hijacked it. I had my last camp. I had two people from Washington state flying to North Carolina, one from Oregon. Manny comes over and Manny goes, Q, you mind if I say that? Say something is to knock yourself out. Eight hours later, true story. So all these people paid for a Cuba Carmichael camp and they got a Manny Fernandez camp, which is like paying for a burger and getting everything on the menu. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's yeah, was, really cool. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. So, but Wahoo and Manny, if you go on and you look at their AWA matches or NWA matches, you'll see two guys 
that truly look like they're knocking the crap out of each other. There's no high spots. There's none of this flippy dude I day. There is two guys that are real men in there fighting, representing two very important American ethnic groups. Okay, the the Mexican American and the American Indian. And that was another thing. I'm big on culture. And that was another yeah. thing I loved about that match is you had two guys that were not the typical white dude in black trunks or the black dude in white trunks. They were two different two different cultures coming together. And just, you know, you could always be guaranteed there was blood. And Manny told me he's in Q, I swear to God, on three quarters of those matches where there's blood, it came the hard way. <laughs> I love that. Shit. Bushwhacker Luke busted me open once. He dropped a fist on me at a glass festival, busted my eyebrow open. <laughs> not, you know, not, I super glued his shot. It was no big deal. Oh, good, 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 good. Back before medical super glue, we always carried real super glue. So, um, but yeah, it was Sawahu so and Manny to me is an epic classic feud bringing together two different cultures. Um, and just having some outrageous matches. And you see two guys that aren't bodybuilders. Obviously, they both went to the gym, but they weren't bodybuilders. They weren't your average typical physique that you see. Both were different, unique ways. And you see these guys go 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and there ain't neither one of them breathing hard. Unbelievable. No. Um, they're not blown up, I can tell you that. Unbelievable. So that's my all-time number two feud. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt, and I'm a little partial because I got to wrestle Wahoo and hang around with him, and, and, you know, he offered me to go fishing with him anytime. And then Manny, who the first time I met Manny in, like, 1995, Jimmy Cicero, me, Manny, and Frank Murdoch, who was Dick Murdoch's nephew, walk into a bar in, in, in uh, the Tidewater area of Virginia, and the owner's a chick, and he walks in. And she goes, oh, my God, it's the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. She comes over. You guys aren't paying for a drink at all tonight. And we got there at 11. It closed at 2. She let us stay till 5.30 in the morning and drink. Nice. And of course, we had a designated driver somewhere. And anyway, somewhere. Somewhere. We're going to find him. So <laughs> we get done, and Manny goes, cue ball, leave her a nice tip. <clears throat> I'm like, you've all leave a nice tip. He goes, you're driving a brand new car. You got the money. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him 50 bucks. So we probably drank literally $500 worth of liquor. And when you, wow. go, with Manny, when you go with Manny at Chats and Tequila, Lou Marconi will come on the show, uh, three-time NWA National Heavyweight Champion, uh, trained by the legendary Charlie Fulton. When Lou comes on the show, I'll tell you the story of the first time Manny and I have a rule that when we wrestle on a show together, we go to the bar and we're the last ones out. We're the last ones to go. So, nice. and, every, and everybody, every bar we ever went to, when I told them who he was, somebody would mark out that worked there, you know? And so it was a lot of free drinks, a lot of good times. Uh, we sat at a table and Manny goes, uh, just pour six shots of tequila, two for each of us. We're drinking a beer. Lou goes, I can't drink tequila. I said, you tell him that. And then Manny, Manny and I had a complete conversation in Carney that Lou didn't understand at all. He was like, I don't know what you're saying. 
Like we're speaking Carney. He goes, that's a whole new Carney than what I heard. I said, because it's the real Carney. Because Manny had taught me Carney years ago. So, you know, my all-time, my all-time favorites, every year in April, I post a tribute to Wahoo on the day that he passed uh, on my Facebook page. I do it every year. He was a man that in the short time that I knew him, left one of the biggest impressions on me in my entire life. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. He uh, he was really something else. I've heard so many wonderful stories about him over the years. Yeah. Some are great. Some was, are just they're, they're historical. He was, without a doubt, the most respected and loved wrestler by all the boys in the locker room. Nice. Yeah, Wahoo was the man, man, the man. Left us way too early at 63 years old, but he had a hard trouble. Oh, he did. But, you know, legend. All right, man, looks like we're down to our final feuds, brother. Our number one. All right. You number one is our, I think you're going to agree. I mean, there's only so many ways you can go about this one. At the time, it, you know, depend on who you talk to, this is the original Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. This is the original, you know, Hulk Hogan's first all-time. Now, I'm going to save the rest for you. I got this, but I know where you're going, and I'm excited. So I don't want to downplay yours, no, but in my yeah. eyes. Yours, yours would have been one of mine if I had stuck two of my friends in there. <laughs> I absolutely love this match at WrestleMania Five. Uh, I loved it for many reasons. I've watched the ABC special when Douglas was the uh, was the referee. I've watched their rivals. I've watched their WCW matches. I've watched their WWE stuff from day one. The stuff with Liz, the stuff with Sherry, the uh, the tag team stuff. Uh, of course, we all remember the very famous Zeus that we won't get into because Tiny, you know. Tiny Lister. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I rated movies. Yeah, yeah, oh, tiny. We've seen, uh, you know, the famous SummerSlam stuff. And, of course, one of my favorite pictures, I think you'll agree with me on this, is the actual picture from, uh, from I want to say it was WrestleMania. Pretty sure it was. I remember that outfit. But uh, just an unbelievable atmosphere at a time that a lot of people needed professional wrestling Hulk Hogan at this point is at his peak. He is no longer champ. You know, you remember WrestleMania 4. It was huge when Savage got the ball. Uh, it was even bigger when he did the honors for, uh, for Hulk Hogan. You know, Savage is no longer with us. We hear that, you know, from Hogan, and I've heard it from... Um, from Lanny, that they really did, there's a real story there that they did talk at a hospital and that there were some some remarks made that helped, maybe, maybe would have helped rekindle that relationship had, had he had not passed away so abruptly. So, in my book, I'm, I put this as probably 
the number one best feud for me. I mean, it really was a year buildup because in my eyes, it all started at four when he won it. You know, he was becoming more, more jealous, you know. You know, you remember, you know. That's what made it hot. That's what made that feud yeah. hot because the ultimate, the ultimate men over a woman. One because he loves her, and one for her honor. I mean, it, it, you know, obsessed. I was obsessed and loved. But then there was the guy who was defending her honor and not letting somebody beat her, or take advantage of her. It really put domestic violence into a feud. You know, it really yeah. did for the first time. Yes, first time ever. Yeah, I think so. And you know, you remember the old uh, "You got lost in your eyes for Elizabeth." Yeah, you know, all that stuff. The... I see the lust in your eyes for my Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, it was huge, and and the thing was, is it had never been done. You know, Macho Man. We all remember his, his uh, famous WrestleMania three match. He did well. I mean, three with Ricky, four with um with uh, all three guys, one man gang. Uh, I can't remember them all. Obviously, Ted, because that was the uh, Million Dollar Man. Ted DiBiase was the final. Uh, and then Hogan. And, and, you know, so, and then Dusty at a time that I just, that, that's a match I don't, it, it was iffy at best. But that, then Warrior. So, I mean, he had some great matches. And obviously, then Flair, that, you know, so it's not like he has always been. You know, a Mr. WrestleMania before Mr. WrestleMania really was a thing. Yeah, and you know, the thing with Hogan is, a lot of people say, well, he can't wrestle. You'll watch his matches from Japan. Yeah, he you can watch- wrestle. Oh, yeah. But what he did was, he stayed healthy, and he only did the moves the fans were totally behind every one of his moves. You know what I mean? So there's a guy that can have 10 years on top and not be out because he tore a bicep doing some stupid move or something like that. You know what I mean? So he was very smart in how he played it. You know, his finish is legendary. The fans knew it was coming, you know, and that's what you want for a finish. You want people to see it coming, let it build up, and then give it to them. So, you know, I think that this feud – um, was the ultimate thing going back to caveman times where no, ugh, that's my woman. No, ugh, that's my woman. And Macho Man totally distorted Hogan's uh, reasons for defending Elizabeth. So it created into, uh, you stole my woman, you SOB. So it had a lot of stuff that hadn't been done in that way before. So We had it, never seen a guy go flying through the center rope Saturday night main event. Yeah. I don't know how many times you've watched it, but man, oh, yeah. you watch that crap in slow motion and you can see she's hurt. Oh, like yeah. he he landed hard on her. Hard. And she's a trooper. Hard. She's a I trooper. Was, I used to have every Saturday night main event on VHF video. I went to there was a vendor that came to the Secret Cove in like 95, 96. And he had every Saturday night main event in a special case, you know, all of them stacked up, yay high, and I bought them all. So nice. I had all that stuff on video, yeah. Yeah, That's- later on, 
later on, I, I think I paid 20 bucks for it, and I sold it for 200 on eBay. Nice. Yeah. After I burned copies of it. That's right. That's the important but, thing. Know, that kind of memorabilia, if you can get your hands on that stuff at wrestling shows, uh, and it's classic stuff, you can go put it up on eBay and make a ton of money on it. You're darn right you can. No. So... Don't under Amazon's totally overshadowed eBay. But one thing about eBay, when I call them, because I have a store there too, when I call eBay, I get a live person sitting in Ohio or Kansas or California or wherever. I don't get rerouted to overseas and and nothing negative about those people. They need a job, but I don't believe you should outsource your customer service. I think your customer service should be in the U.S. I know it's cheaper to outsource it, but it's really difficult to talk to somebody whose English is limited and try to get across to what you're trying to say. I have a difficult time with that. That's why I don't have American Express anymore. And American Express, every time I call customer service, hello, my name is Bob, may I help you? I'm like, yeah, no. It's American Express. Yeah, no. Anyway. All right. I totally get that. Absolutely. Now it's going to be your time to shine. You're the host of the show. You get the final pick of the night. You know, it's like big draft, right? You know, oh, we should have like the ESPN sign all set up, like this big. You know, short. there's a, a whole bunch of matches that we've seen over the years, man. What is your number one? Wait till we do our draft for our first Hall of Fame. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it is. My, it is. My number one pick of all-time greatest feuds in wrestling represents what I believe the wrestling business is about, and that's making money, but also the passing of a torch, the segue to a legend leaving the business, and that would be WrestleMania three, right? Yep. Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. The body slam heard around the world. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just one of those matches that had a 13-month buildup to the match. Yes. That's the match that filled the Pontiac Silver Dome to capacity. That's the match that was shown on closed-circuit TVs. People were going to movie theaters around the country and watching it. If they didn't have cable and couldn't get it on TV. It was amazing, and I can tell you this, that when Hogan slammed Andre, you could feel the electricity in the Silverdome. Like, every person in there, 90,000 people, all of a sudden were connected to a moment that will last in eternity. The first man to ever body slam Andre the Giant. Did it look oh. like that? Is that it? It's, it's exactly that, brother. It's exactly that. And if you, I always, you know, I, I always tell people when they say to me, they'll say, you know, when did you know you had a love for this business? And I always say I can remember sitting on my, my father's lap at my next door neighbor's. This is about, you know, I, this is back when I remember the thunderstorm on the VHS box and Hogan's ripping the shirt and the Warriors got the hands up. 
Well, then I seen this match. And this is when I said, oh, my goodness. I love what I'm seeing. Man, the rest was history. I mean, there's a reason I know so much. Yeah. If I was done. How old were you at that time? Do you know? At, for which one? Three? Yeah. I was three. I was born the same year WrestleMania, the year before WrestleMania begun. Okay. So you, yeah. still, you still remember that. And here's the You amazing. take your pills. No, this is for, this is. This is for our, our show starting at the actual time. Getting ready for it. Oh. That's my prep alarm. You're ready for the show. So anyway. Like that. Yeah. So what happened was with to me, I'm, I had met Andre the Giant. I met him at the Broome County Arena when I was working security. And I remember walking up to him and shaking his hand and telling him I thought he was just amazing. I couldn't understand what he said back to me. But that does, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I probably no. could well, and I probably couldn't, Nick, because I was blinded by the fact that I was shaking hands with a wrestling legend. At that Absolutely. point, at that point, I was 19 years old, and I said, "My dream of being a professional wrestler is now over," because I saw the size of him. I said, "Yeah," I said, "It's not going to happen." So I continued to work security. The guy that set up the ring would get me in there and bump me around a little bit, told me I had a talent for it. So it's maybe a year later, and I meet Bob Backlund, who's the world champion. And I shake hands with him, and I know I'm at least an inch and a half to two inches taller. And at that point, I was 6'2 and probably 240 pounds and in shape. Really? Yeah. I, I met him. I shook his hand, and I said, I'm, I'm going to do this. Because I can compete with a man like this size-wise, and he's the world champion. And that was the second that I realized I got to find a wrestling school, I got to sell everything I own, and I got to move somewhere. I knew at that point I was done. It was done. I knew at nine years old. I knew at nine years old I was going to be a wrestler because I told you the story. My mom's in the living room screaming for my dad to come in. I think somebody broke in the house. And it was a big old 13-room farmhouse. So I run from one of the house to the other. I go in there. TV's on. Fred Blassie's got some guy bleeding all over the place. And my mom looks at my dad and goes, Jerry, do something. And he's like, that's on TV. What do you want me to jump to the TV set? And she goes, but he's killing the guy. And when I saw my mom react like that, it could have been roller derby, underwater Himalayan folk dancing. It could have been wrestling. It wouldn't have mattered. Whatever got her to react like that, I wanted the ability to put people on that roller coaster. So I knew at nine years old I was going to be a wrestler. But, and that was my plan until I met Andre. And then my dream was shattered. And then, thank God, less than a year later, probably six months later, I met Bob Backlund and shook hands with him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And it was less than two years later that I was living in Hawaii going to Peter Maivia's wrestling school. Wow. Unreal. Packed up, sold everything, moved 5,000 miles away from home. Now, keep in mind, this is late 1982. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. Maybe you had a pager. And once a week, I would spend the 10 bucks and call my family back home. And my cousins would come over to my mom's house. Um, Two sets of cousins would come over. My sister was there. And I would call and spend 10 minutes talking to everybody. 
and that was it for the next week. I was back to Unreal. back to knowing nobody living in a room that I rented and going to wrestling school. Unreal. Ironically, though, do you remember Siva Afi? That sounds familiar. Why? Well, he was a Hawaiian wrestler who uh, wrestled. He was big in Canada. And then he came, he, he wrestled for WWE for a while. He was about five foot eight. That's what killed him. Built like Jimmy Snuka, but about five foot eight. But he was there for a while. It's S I V A A F I. You have to look him up. He yeah, was, well. He was the heavyweight champion for Pacific Polynesian Pro Wrestling, which was an NWA affiliate promoter. So it was National Wrestling Alliance. So my. My first locker room, he trained with us during a week. And my first locker room, he's there. And he's the heavyweight champion. He's going to wrestle Lars Anderson in a Swedish axe handle match in the main event. And I'm opening the show. And I look over and there's Steve Ricard, the famous promoter from New Zealand, who's a legend. I look over here. There's Mark Lewin, who seemed completely normal until he went through the curtain and then acted like a crazy man. And there was Tor Kamada was there. And I'm in this locker room with these legends for my first match going, holy smokes. I can't believe this is happening. It was unbelievable. That's so cool. And Siviafi and I are still friends to this day and communicate through Facebook. He's back in America and some more. Really? Yep. He goes, I remember you. You were the kid with the wild hair. So I had a lot of hair. And you see my high school picture, probably. And what I did was I washed it, and I would blow dry it, and it would look like a Samoan's hair. And I had lots of No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So actually, the lead into Pacific Polynesian Wrestling, it was the most watched wrestling show at that time in the world. It was broadcast throughout Asia, Pacific Polynesia, and it had, you ready for this? Yeah. 10 million views a week. Wow. 10 million. Really? Pacific Polynesian Pro Wrestling promoted by Peter Maivia and then taken over by Leah Maivia. At the time, the Apex in 1982 and 83, that show was, I'm sorry, it was was seen by a billion people. A billion. Because it was in China. It was in Hong Kong. It was in Japan, and people don't understand. Pacific Polynesia is enormous. People don't understand. Oh, yeah, there's, there's 50 million people. It includes it includes Micronesia, Malaysia, Guam, uh, Samoa, um, all, it was all in China. It was in Japan. It was in Hong Kong. It was in uh, they call it Malaysia, which is Vietnam and all those countries over there together. Nice. Broadcast. So next week, people. So I'm sure you can see yourself right now on the camera. So next week, I say we do the first ever Facebook Live right from here, just like this. Only you will. Be calling me, and I'll be putting you directly through the show. Now, what would you say to that? 
I would say, hell yeah. I thought you might like that. Oh, my God. That's awesome, brother. Awesome. I thought you might like that. That's going to be the plan for next week. But in the meantime, I got to tell you, we're running at an hour and a half right now. We've done the greatest hits. I'm super pumped. I am pumped for next week. I hope you're pumped for next week. I don't even know what we're doing next week. Doesn't matter. That's the beauty of this show. It's going to be, look, it's going to be a great show for fans. No. It's fun. We all, we run on all cylinders all day. It's amazing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I can't. I couldn't be more excited right now to be on Facebook or YouTube live and doing our show. Well, I, me neither. I mean, it's, what an opportunity for Triple T Radio. It's Triple T Radio, man. It's wrestling our way. It's wrestling our way. You're exactly right. You know, we talk about legends of the business, our connections with them. We can play the game, um, six degrees of cue ball, Carmichael. Name any wrestler that wrestled in the 90s or the Attitude Era and or was a star in the 70s, and within six people, I can connect myself to him. Usually, it's two to three. You know, there's that, there's that game, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know that, yeah. right? You can connect any actor <laughs> within six links to him. You can do it in less than that with me. Name name a star from the from the early a big star from the eighties that was still wrestling in the nineties. Name a big star. Rick Flair. Perfect. I can do it in one move. I wrestled Wahoo. Who wrestled Rick Flair? Wahoo. Done. I like that. That was pretty easy. Bret Hart. Bret Hart? Easy. Jim the Anvil Nightheart worked for me and introduced me to him. One connection. Boom. Anvil, Brett. I love it, man. <laughs> I like fun, that. It's a fun game to pay, play. We probably could do the four degrees of cue ball, Carmichael. We don't need the six. We could do the four degrees of cue ball, Carmichael. How can he connect himself to any wrestling star, 80s, late 70s, all 80s, all 90s? Well, you know what, buddy? I love it. I love it. Thank you. Wrestling our way is fun. I don't see how anybody could watch this show and not enjoy the topics that we talk to, the relationship that we have, the respect that we have for the business and each other. Nobody's going to find a show like that. No, no. This is a great show. I had a great time tonight. Me too, man. Time went by fast. I can't believe it. 90 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, me neither. And this you know, was a lot of fun tonight. And I, and I skipped a lot of detail on these because I knew we were running long. So yeah, I figured you did. Why don't you do this? The cue balls corner pocket. Could you yeah. put up one poll on who should have been the heavyweight champion that never got it? Yeah, I'll do that. And we do that. We'll get and then maybe they can leave a comment on who they're talking about, right? Absolutely. I'll put that up after. Absolutely. Next week, we'll go through that and talk about who, why, what, and where, and how. I'm in. Good. Absolutely. I love it. It's done. 
Okay, my man. All right, next, next week. Sounds good. Next week, same time, same station. Triple T Radio, baby. Wrestling our way.